Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So this is the Long Beach sitting group. Sunday morning sitting group. And then... uh, what I thought about speaking is uh, is uh, one of the factors that's like one of the prime factors of uh, any spiritual endeavor is the equanimity. Now I'm going to be using a version of what uh, actually Joseph Goldstein spoke about a while back. So I'm going to be referring to him and using some of his great talk on this subject. So it's the... Uh, the Pali word for equanimity is upeka. And then uh, what Biko Bodhi calls it, uh, it's like a little awkward translation of English, but that's exactly the translation is uh, they're, they're there in the middle of So we're not dwelling so much on the extreme of stuff from one side to the other. And just rest in that cool, balanced, peaceful place that we all have tasted it from time to time. So we can actually cultivate it and just get a hold of it more and become more aware when it's present, when it's not present, <laughs> and what are the conditions that causes it to be there. So become play with that part of it. Uh, Joseph Campbell, in his uh, book, Hero with a Thousand Faces, is a great mythological figure. He describes the uh, night of enlightenment of the Buddha as he was sitting down on the tree, and then many forces came, you know, to his visit. They call Mara. It's his own, actually, projection, shadow side, whatever you want to call it. Uh, beautiful girls would come in, you know, form of lust, and this, uh, many other things that would come trying to get his mind off of what he was trying to do, achieve. And this is one of my favorite quotes, actually, he says that, uh, and then the mind of the Great One was not moved. Among all of these turbulent stuff, he says the mind of the Great One was not moved. Uh, you know, I certainly am not able to do just the worldly winds that come my way as we get into it, like gain, pleasure, I want to hold on to the things. But how can we live our life, daily lives, in this manner? that the mind is not moved so much, it's not attached to any outcome, my desired outcome that I might have. So, uh, staying what they say there, there in the middleness. Um, so as we, as we live our lives, uh, what they call the vicissitudes, different uh, worldly wind come our way. Those are like eight of them. Gain and loss, you all gain and lose things, right? The, and you see your, your mind how much attached it is to the gain and loss. Pain and pleasure, which is so primal in each one of us, right? The pain and pleasure factor. Pain and disrepute, you know, as others say, praise us or blame us, you know, for things. It's merely a projection of their feelings, but how much we get it into ourselves and, you know, make a big deal about it. <clears throat> Got the last one. <laughs> Pleasure, pain, gain, loss, fame, disrepute. There's another one. 
Does anybody know it? Oh, my favorite one, praise and blame. <laughs> so if stuff goes right, you know, and then you want to hold on to it, right? And then when it goes away, how much blame do I bring into myself? Like, you know, what were some of the stuff that I did, right, in causing this? In Gain and Loss, uh, Joseph Goldstein talks about when he came from India uh, in the 70s, right? They uh, asked him to teach at Naropa in, in Colorado. That was like the Buddhist Woodstock in the death, right? <laughs> at the time. So they gave him a one-bedroom apartment, and some of his friends that came after him, he says, oh, good, Joseph has a place there, we'll go stay with him. Right? <laughs> so he just, like, in this one-bedroom apartment, he like, two people move in, three people move in, <laughs> four, five, six people. And he says, like, how, you know, he was attached to the space. Uh, it was just, like, my space, my apartment. Whereas, like, a few months before in India, they were just like many more people than uh, would living with them as they when they were sharing the same space and his mind would not be attached to this you know my space so how much am i bringing the i me mine into this right and this is my space and somebody is entering it loss uh, the other quality of this equanimity is the impartial uh, impartiality of like Spacious awareness, a spacious impartiality. Uh, it was a wanderer, a Japanese wanderer, Ryokan. It's like he was wandering for a while. And then when he came back, the thief had come in and uh, to his hut. And very few things that he had gotten and he had was a stolen, like lost. Impe spacious impartiality. So what he does, what does he do? Gives a haiku. He comes in, this is like, it's a, how, how many of us can we do this? You know, we, uh, I mean, this is like the, like the idealistic part, part of it. I mean, it's not possible to do this. Come in, Tifa's been here, looks out the windows, there's like the moon out there. He says, oh, moon, the thief left it behind. <laughs> yeah, writes a haiku after finding out all the stuff has been stolen. Certainly we can see it in the, our political process, right? Gain and loss. Uh, these things are our side wins. We're happy, side loses, and then uh, we're not happy. All the different uh, things that, you know, come along with playing with that. Somebody uh, went and saw uh, Dalai Lama. He says, I want to do this and that. Really uh, passionate about saving Tibet and saying, <coughs> I want to do this for Tibet and do that. He says, first go and just like cultivate some equanimity, then your effect will be much more, uh, then, then, then all this stuff that will be way, way much more effective stuff that you're doing, if it comes up from equanimity. Rather than I want to do this, I want to, you know, do that, I want to do that. Just like develop some equanimity first, then your actions will be much more effective in the political, societal area. And then... Uh, uh, that's a great noise out there. See if you can stay with the talk and just like not be bothered by it. Right? Uh, that's a great. Maybe we should just. I should pay Kate, uh, Casey, and Wendy have somebody and just like I can <laughs> run my car bill over there. See if you guys can sit there on some Sunday. Say <laughs> stay equanimous. Uh, so this is the life that happens like this. 
So what do we do? Uh, we pour in love and silence, right? In these troubled times, you, you pour in love and you pour in silence and just see what comes up after that. What kind of action arises from that, right? The other part that he talks about, uh, Joseph Goldstein, I love that book, One Dharma. Uh, he says when he wrote that, he saw that <clears throat> how his mind uh, was uh, attached how to those reviews, Amazon reviews, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like says like somebody was just putting in there. It's like a beautiful, most enlightening book. Wonder, I mean, it's like a pleasure to read, right? The mind will go in that way, right? Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> right? And in the next stroke, it was just like this is pretty silly stuff. You know? I mean, like one dharma might not emerge as the title might might suggest. You know, oh, you know how you know you would write those worldly winds as those things come up. Ram Dasa speaks about it very beautifully. He says, like, they would just come and tell me, oh, you gave a great talk. Says, oh, yes, isn't it? So that's great. Thank you very much. And then when they would come with, like, some critic, he says, like, I would see it in my mind. He says, like, oh, what do they know? You know? Uh, what do they know what they're talking about? Uh, in this, and then fame and disrepute is the other one that we were talking about as far as these worldly winds that come our way. In the 70s, uh, they, were, they had a, a study. They saw that the people would uh, rate fame as number 15 and number 16 of what was important for them. Uh, like 2007 to 2010 that they did that study, they said that it moved up the second one. I mean, as a culture, we've moved up to bringing the thing up that much. More than half of the people, 51%, said that they would rather be an assistant to a celebrity than a president of the Harvard University. Right? See where the values have gone and then what's important <laughs> for us. Um, So this pain and pleasure also is one of the really uh, primal things that uh, we all have. And then you can see this in, uh, also in the container of a retreat that now it comes in, you know, in the mind and just like makes you move toward one thing and stay away from the other mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, you know, in the lunch line, I mean, you have like to gain a little bit of access point for concentration so you can just see the little small movements of the mind more clearly. We can notice it here also, but uh, it's just so primal in us. Uh, we talk about the single cells when they were running or when we were, if you were uh, single cells floating down in the river, right? The shade, there comes a shade that happened to pass by a shade. Oh yeah, pleasure. You could more try to get on that way. But then you're moving away and the sun comes in and trying to just like Squish back and get back on the, you know, the shade side. So it's like very, very primal in us. And it's just like beautiful to notice how they're all trying to gain that pleasure and stay away from pain. And then more importantly, when the pleasure goes away, for me, definitely, 
What did I do wrong? Right? What did I do wrong that I lost that? Right? I start the blaming game comes in, which is huge. And then uh, the second part of the equanimity is uh, <clears throat> you can kind of develop it. Right? It's one of the uh, Brahma Viharas, four divine abodes. You already know what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Loving kindness, met metta, mudita, sympathetic joy. Compassion and equanimity. So Chinese uh, master was saying, well, "I got to read this. Read this actually twice. It's great. In the cherry blossom shade, there is no such thing as strangers. That's really the you know." Impartial spaciousness of. Uh, yeah, equanimity. In the cherry blossom tree, there are no such thing as strangers. So when you're at work, maybe how see how you're you know reacting to the co-workers. Mm -hmm. It just like happens a lot of time with, with with all of most of us in the work, right? And Dalai Lama says treat treat everyone you know as equals, and they come on. <clears throat> And uh, <coughs> so the Buddha was saying, as a solid mass of rock is not moved by a wind, so the sage is also not moved by praise and blame. Mm -hmm. All of us are moved with these, and the worldly winds comes our way, all these eight factors that are there. But it's just like when we're able to notice it, what do we do with it? That's one thing, right? If you go in the plane part, and if I'm able to uh, be more attuned to these things in there, they're not running my life. Uh, and I just see them as we, as we did the meditation, last part of it. So I'm not moved so much by the content of what's really happening, but with the process of things coming and just staying for a while and passing away, right? Coming and staying here, and they're going to pass away. And as this uh, equanimity develops, you can just get, get more insights to the three characteristics that are, uh, what's the insight practices. Those characteristics are the dukkha, unsatisfactory nature of living, you know, getting stuff that I have, it's going to go away. Stuff that I don't want it to happen, it happens. Okay. Impermanence, which we all see it in each other, right? In life, things are going to change all the time. How am I holding more in the center rather than the extreme sides as things change in my life? And the third thing is that there is no self, no real apparent self. They alluded to like a rainbow, right? Based on the conditions they come, what are the conditions of water, light, air, right? And it's beautiful, it's real, it's there, but not really. So we gain more insight into the no-self. I mean, each one of us are kind of like rainbows. And more and more see these things as a, cont uh, as a process. Uh, 
understand a content. And somebody was saying that, uh, is it real? The Tibetan one was saying, the rainbow? He says, yes, but not really real. <laughs> right? It is real. It's there. It's beautiful, right? But it's not really real. So that's the third uh, process of, like, as we develop this equanimity, you can gain more access into those things. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to say anything else from this. <coughs> so, yeah, as, as the equanimity matures, you're kind of like more open to more unconditioned, you know, things that are not conditioned in us. And just see things come as coming and just empty phenomena rolling away, passing by. We open to more unconditioned rather than all the time reacting from my conditioning, your conditioning, everybody's conditioning that we've had based from, you know, since our childhood and we put a worldview together and just like it keeps repeating and happening all over again, over and over. Back to this samsara world. And I'm able to get more unconditioned and see the unconditioned, deathless. And then the experience of equanimity gives us this taste. More and more you see what, you know, what they call arhans, what they, what they more taste like. It's, I'm sure some, we, we have tasted it, all of us have, from time to time. But as we are aware of it, and we can incline our, more, our minds more toward these things, then we're creating more conditions for it to arise more automatically, right? Say the awakening is... Uh, Accident, but we make ourselves more accident prone. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.